everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast where a bunch of writers sit around, drink, and talk about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Today, your hosts are Chaz and Karen Brenchley and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 95, Memoir Writing with Jill Phillips. Welcome, Jill. Hi. Lovely to be here today. Well, and you're in England, so I should say good evening instead of good morning for you. Is that correct? That's right. It's dark here, actually. <laughs> it's pitch black. Excellent. Jill just published this last fall, Lamlash Street, a portrait of 1960s post-war London through one family story. And you sent me an advanced copy. Thank you. I adore it. I know a bunch of people who have said they want to write memoirs down or write about their family and tell their family stories. And a couple have come to me and said, where do I begin? How do I get started? Do I hire somebody? And so I have a bunch of their questions and I wanted to ask them to you and talk about your methods. Sounds great. Go ahead. Yes, please do. See, now, this was, was this your first ever book or novel that you've written? Yes, it was. Um, the only other thing I have ever written in my life was my thesis for my master's degree, which is very different because you're really just repeating other people's ideas and twisting them around a little bit. <laughs> what, was, what was your degree in? Occupational therapy. Oh, right, cool. I, I would still hold is sometimes when I am on the writing equals writing train that the ability to sit down and write 50 to 100 pages of anything gets you at least started in the habit of being able to sit down and pour a bunch of words out. Whereas somebody who's never sat down and had to write a 500 page anything is going to have some problems. Uh, yeah, that actually was one of the things that sort of kept, well, number one, that was one of the reasons why I thought I could at least perhaps attempt to write a book. Because I thought, well, you know, I have written a thesis and I did manage to get to the end. And so I'm, I'm saying to myself, well, you know, at least I, I know I have the ability to write the words down on paper. However, whether or not I could write something which was entertaining and hopefully which other people would read other than just my immediate family um, is something that um, I really didn't know about until I got to this point, to be honest. But yes, it's, it's, it's a challenge. Um, all I can say to people is, Start very small. Don't think about publishing books and what's the cover going to be like and how do I do this and how do I do that. The basic information you need, you need the stories. If you want to write about your family, then what I did was I literally took all of the stories I could remember. You remember you, you sit around with um, the relatives at Christmas and weddings and places like this, and you hear these stories. They talk about the other relatives and the history of the family. And so what I did was I took each one of those small stories, little snippets I could remember, and I put them on one complete new page. So by the time I'd finished writing down all these stories, now some of them only had like two lines at the top of a, a page and nothing else. Then I would go to talk to my mom or talk to another family member saying, do you remember when we did this or when that happened? And then they would talk about it and I would gradually add to the story. So don't think of it as being... You have to start with chapter one on day one and you have to go to chapter 15 by the end of it just start with the individual stories so at least you're recording your family's histories and also you're going to keep that as a record of your family so that the things the amazing things that some of your family members have done or the funny things or whatever is part of your family history you have actually got to the point of writing it down on paper and that's where you need to focus on initially. Forget about the rest of it. 
if you get as far as a book, that's lovely, but you have to get the stories down first. My mother died two years ago. And when, you, when you're talking here, I was just thinking how sad I was when I realized that she had taken all, so many of the stories with her. And I know what you mean, because we had a very large extended family, and my grandmother would tell all the family stories. And of course, I didn't write them down. And I'm finding out more and more and more, and some of the guilty secrets, and surprising sadnesses and stuff. Tell me, when you were doing this, what guilty secrets and surprising (laughs) sadnesses did you find? That's one of the decisions you have to make when you're hearing the family stories. How far do you want to probe? Do you want your your book to be um, something which people are saying, oh, that's a terrible thing they did? Or do you want the book to be a more positive view of your family history? I chose to make it a more positive view. Um, the only thing that in the whole book that I think is somewhat contentious is my nan, who was my dad's mother. Uh, when she was in her early 20s, she had three young boys, obviously one of my dad, her violent husband who was an alcoholic had left her uh, with three children to look after she had no income at all other than working at waterloo station going down onto the tracks and physically pushing the railway carriages along and so she had a terrible terrible life Uh, no family assistance at all nobody there with any money at all everyone was as poor as she was And so uh, on some occasions, my dad said, no, I can remember, he said, when um, different uncles used to come home to mum's every night, to my nan's every night, you know, when she'd been down the pub. And as a result of that, my father never actually drank at all because he had such negative memories of that episode. And what I did was I wrote down the story. I asked a few other family members what they knew. Uh, Nobody really knew that much, just the pieces that, that I had, really. And then I gave it to two friends, not family, but two friends to say, do you think this is too intrusive? Do you think I should just really not have this piece in the book? And they said, no, he said it was treated in a sensitive manner. And, and it was the reality for those days. I think it was just part of the, the terrible life compared to now that, that people grew up with and children. I mean, the children often spent hours outside the pubs waiting for their parents to come out. There'd be whole groups of children sitting on the um, on the pavement waiting for their, for their their mums and dads to appear. So it seems to us to be a really awful way to live, but that was their reality. So I decided to keep that piece in, and uh, none of the family members have any issues with it. So happens in America, there are parallels to that because the UK. It seems since the war went through a this is we are going to build this social network to make sure that people like your grand didn't fall through. And in America, today, you could still have a woman with three kids that didn't have an education because she got married, she got kids, the guy lit off. What does she do? She's a single mom with three kids. I had uncles. People get uncles. It happens. And I think by bringing it to light like that, people can say, oh, that's actually real now. It was real then. And there's still something wrong with it. So it lets you be more socially aware and feel connected at the same time. Yeah, I think so. And I, and I, so I was glad, actually, that I had left it in there. And as I said, none of the family members have, have had any objections to it at all. So um, so it, I was happy with that, really. So what is the favorite, your favorite part? What, what What's your favorite story from the book? 
well, I love Christmas. I, I still absolutely love Christmas. I still get excited about Christmas. So my story starts with Christmas of 1962 and ends with Christmas of 1963. So I have two Christmases in there, which I love. Huh. And actually, the last chapter is the, the large Christmas party, huge family party, 200 people there. Wow. Um, you know, the floor would be moving up and down. So many people were dancing in time to the music. Somebody was holding down the radiogram so that the needle didn't skip onto the record. So uh, for me, um, and actually that chapter I wrote very quickly, as opposed to all the others, which were took much longer. But uh, yeah, so for me, Christmas is my favourite part of the book, actually, to be honest. Oh, nice, nice. When you were interviewing other family members about their things, did you did you try recording it or was it just listening and taking notes? Tell us about your process there. Um, what I tried to do is I, I wanted it to be more of a casual conversation because it was family. I really didn't want them to feel like they were being interviewed um, because I thought if they felt that they were being interviewed, they may not be as forthcoming um, about the stories and be a little more tense and so the conversation flowed better um because I did think on my phone I could easily do a voice recording but no I decided not to and uh, so what I did I just took um jot notes you know as you may in a lecture hall or whatever I just quickly wrote down a few key words um which people didn't really seem to have any issues and we just putting a few words down on paper and then within an hour of of meeting with them I would go through and I would fill out the notes so I could actually remember in more detail that way and uh, write it down but yeah it's very important that it's very casual so you don't say oh I've got this list of questions for you here no that probably isn't the best way to get people to be that forthcoming so what I would say is oh mum do you remember when we went to that wedding and that there was there was terrible argument do you, do you know anything about that so so very inquiring in terms of how I was asking about things or um mom can you tell me um how did you and dad meet so then she told me oh we were at the swimming pool swimming baths at Manor Place and she said I jumped into the pool because mum was in her well, she was 18 and almost landed on your dad mm-hmm. almost drowned the poor man she said yeah. And then um, afterwards we got talking and then they dated and then eventually they got married. So I, I tried to make it very casual, um, hoping, to be honest, that would get more information that way as well. Did you find that as you asked people questions, like if you asked your mom about the wedding and an uncle about the wedding, did you ever get very different stories and recollections? Oh, yes, you do. Um, you have to be a, a diplomat, to be honest. Um, you have to, well, as, as an author, you see, you have an option. Um most like 85 to 95 95% of this story is is as it was but there's a little bit of leeway there because at the end of the day you have to have a story which is hopefully entertaining and a page turner basically it's very true but there you can also choose which versions you want to pay attention to and because i really wanted the story to be a good story as an entertaining piece uh, I chose the more unusual sto- version of the story, or maybe I had a blend of both versions. So it, it wasn't as if I was creating a historical document. It was something that I wanted people to read and enjoy, because if it's people don't read it, then the story doesn't get out there, even if it's a slightly different version from what other people remember. 
Yeah, I noticed um, that uh, my mother was was much more conservative in her telling of family stories when I uh, met for the first time some some distant cousins and and or called them when my mother died, and I found out some very interesting different versions <laughs> of stories um, oh, that yeah. I had heard growing up. Right. So yes, I could see how you picking and choosing uh, which would be the right ones for the book would be important. I hear yeah. you. I have, a, I have a great uncle that apparently uh, died in prison for murder one. Nobody wants to tell me this incredibly exciting story. <laughs> really? Isn't that amazing? Like, I'm dying to know. Why isn't everybody else wanting to tell me? Well, my stories were more of the sad kind. So, but anyway, even so. Technically, that's sad for most people, you know. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, we did have a, a cousin, Malcolm. And the only thing mom would say about him was he was found one day dead in the gutter under mysterious circumstances. And that's all she would ever tell me about him. <laughs> so I thought, oh, okay, something about the mob. The mob was involved, you know, the gangland people. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so there was some connection there, but no, we don't talk about that. I thought, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I see. Have you ever considered turning it into the fictional story? Maybe you know, not going linearly, but saying, you know, Malcolm's tale. So here I am, <laughs> dead. <laughs> Let me tell you how I got here. Oh, you could do. You could do. Um, right now, I'm, I'm just thrilled to death. I've actually written one book. Um, but hey, I think you. I, I'm going to have to do a sequel, I think, because people keep saying to me, well, what happened next? What happened when you, you left? And, and what happened to this character or, or family member? And what happened to that person? And I thought, oh, my, I'm going to have to do something about this. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, um, um. So are you having written one book with clearly a basis in fact, but an element of creativity and storytelling woven into it throughout? Did this, does this in any way make you want to write fiction? I think it will eventually. Um, I like the fact that I've written a fairly truthful version of what happened, as if, depending on which person you, you speak to. And I think I will eventually. I think I do want to do the sequel. Um, but then I can see me. I've, I already have a few sort of ideas on the side. I think that's what happens when you're a writer. You, you write and then you think you, you have this idea. That, oh, you know, maybe I should do this. And then maybe I should do. And so you start little storylines of other books. And I have about three different ones <laughs> lurking around. Uh, just outlines, really, and ideas. But then I think at the end of the day, you have to decide which one you're going with next. You know? Yeah, there was one time. I got on, as I was stepping onto a train with a friend, um, he said, so Chaz, how many books do you have lined up in the back of your head that you could start writing tomorrow if if your agent phoned and said they want this one now? And I, I started making a list. And 10 minutes later, there were 15 titles on that list. Yeah. And it will be more now. I think as well for me, um, I, it, for writing, I'm much more comfortable with it now, obviously, at the end of writing the book than the beginning. I think you have to really believe in yourself um, because it's very easy to think of writing as something that other people do and only famous people do. But in fact, every one of us can write a story. So if you, um, if you have to believe in yourself, where did you personally get that confidence from? I got it, strange enough, from my uncle. My uncle, is his war stories are actually in the book. He, he was um, 18 in World War II. He went to New York. He, 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 went, he was in the Atlantic uh, convoys when they used to, um, the boats used to be blown up by the, the enemy and so on. You, I think you have to have a real 
reason, a real motivation that, that's emotional. So for me, it was uncle, I think it was about three months before uncle died. He died in 2011, but fairly suddenly. He was older, but nonetheless still quite sudden. And um, uncle and auntie, that uncle and aunt Ellen, they lived with us at Lamlash Street. So it was a large open house with a suite downstairs where they lived. And we lived upstairs. So really, we were one large family. And I, when Uncle and Auntie moved out um, of Lamlash Street, I missed them terribly because I was only 10 years old. And then when he, they came back into our lives again some 15 plus years later, I always had a soft spot for him. So I was talking to him. I'd come over from Canada to see mum and dad, and I was chatting with him. And I said, and he started talking about these war stories. And he always, always loved war stories on TV, films. He loved them tremendously. And so um, I said to him, I said, oh, that's interesting. So you've written down some of your stories. He said, oh, yes, he said, I'd love this to be made into a book. And I thought, well, that's a nice idea and thought nothing more of it. So um, as it turned out, I never saw him again. Three or four months later, he, he died and I was over for the funeral. And we were looking through his things in the apartment he lived in before it was being sold. And I happened to come across the books that he'd written. He'd written basically a few little stories. It was in block capital letters. Um, and there were two very, very thin uh, exercise books. There were about, oh, about 10 stories in there, but enough to give me an idea of the flavour of what he went through during the war. And so what I did was, I, that was really my motivation for writing the book. And I was talking to, um, I did have a, a book coach as I, because I wasn't really moving forward with my book writing. So I, I had to chat with my book coach. Um, and he said, well, look, if you want to write the story about Lamlash Street, why don't you do flashbacks to uncle's stories as well? So you have both th- those things that are very near and dear to me in one story. And once I'd committed to that, I had to finish it for uncle's sake and for the people at Lamlash Street. I think you have, if you have that emotional connection, I think you will finish it. Oh, that's great. That's, a, that's really interesting. You see, your stories actually reminded me a little bit of, there are a couple modern authors that seem to be taken. I don't know if they've written their family or collected their family stories, but Sarah Painter, for instance, has something called Crow Investigations, imagining what if your family had actually secretly been had special powers and were part of a mafia. Yeah. And, and she went, and so the flavor of them is very similar, even though hers is urban supernatural fantasy and yours is absolute nonfiction. You know, this is a beautiful slice of life at the time. So I think there are possibilities of going many different directions with this in the future. Yes, yes. Um, I think for me, one of the things in the story that I only really understood when I was, by the time I'd finished the story, is how much I had been affected by the fact that the family had to split up um, during this period of time and how devastating it was to lose a lot of your support, not just my support in terms of cousins and aunts and uncles, but also my parents lost their support as well. So our family life changed tremendously. Mum and Dad used to get really stressed after auntie and uncle moved out. And I didn't have my usual cousins to go and say, oh, mum and dad are going a bit strange again. What shall I do sort of thing? Um, so all those family supports just fell apart. So I hadn't really realized how much that impacted on me until I wrote the book. And then I began to understand why my mum and dad did what they had to do. Basically, had no choice. And so for me, it was, more, it was a healing process. So at the end of the day, I understand now why we moved from Lamlash Street. Um, I understand 
why the family had to split up. Um, I was actually chatting to my cousin um, the other day and I said to him, do you remember those times when the family had to split up? He said, yes, it was terrible. He said, I can remember a Christmas of 1962. He said, I had masses of presents under the tree from all the aunts and uncles and cousins. And he said the next year, he said, I only had three Christmas presents. And he, he felt it as well. But in those days, children were seen and not heard. And you, your mental health wasn't even a consideration. So we were sort of left on our own to try and deal with that. But I think the book has helped me do that. Oh, I can see that. But with this being so very personal, would you ever want to help somebody else write their memoirs? Like if somebody came out and like, I lived 10 blocks over, but we had a different experience. I want to write our memoirs. Would you be somebody that they'd call for that? Or do you, would you say, I really think you need to write your own memoirs and here's how you do it? I think um, I'd, certainly, I'd help anybody with anything I could, to be honest. Um, but in terms of their memoirs, I certainly have no issues with giving them the structure and the encouragement because that's really all people require to get started. Because people say, well, how did you start? What did you do first? And um, as if it's some massive, great thing. I mean, we, when we write, what we write may not be uh, Lord of the Rings. You know, it's not necessarily going to be this huge, great book. It may be a little novelette. I mean, there's many books that have been written or many movies that have been made from very short stories by fairly famous people now. But initially, they were just short stories of like four or five pages. So I say to people, just write it down. And this is the way I did it. I tried a few other ways. I tried using a computer program that didn't work for me. I tried using uh, cards or paper cards, literally, and I could storyboard them on the wall. I've tried everything. But the way I approached it works well for me, and it may be different for somebody else. Uh, but I think what people need more than anything else is encouragement. Once they have the idea, yes, I can write, it doesn't have to be Shakespeare, just write down the stories. The next important piece really is the encouragement. So if somebody said to me, oh, I, I really would like to write about my family, but I'm not sure where to start. I'm more than happy to say, well, this is how I did it. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed the process. I'm glad I did it. And I would encourage you to move forward. And I would say to them, you tell me a little bit about your family. Tell me some of the family stories. And the other thing is, the more you talk about it, and you talk about it with relatives and friends who were around at that time, the more you recall, and the more they recall. So don't worry about the book being very, having very few pages to start with. Eventually, it will fill out because people's memories um, from those days are, are are a little slow at times, but they will eventually remember things. So, yes, certainly I have no issue with that. I mean, that's what we should all be doing anyway, in my view. Yeah, um, following on from that, earlier you mentioned your book coach. Can you talk Mm. about that a bit? Yes. uh, Now, this was, I know we're going to touch on this later, but this was through book launches. Um, What happened was when Uncle passed on, he sold obviously we he had the an apartment which was his so we had a little bit of money myself and my brother had a small inheritance from that and so what I did was I thought uncle has always wanted to to write a book about his war stories so I'm going to use the money that or some of the money that he gave to me through the inheritance and so I approached book launches and I explained my situation and they said well we'll we'll pair you up with a, a book writing coach who was Tim Tester, and he was brilliant. He listened to my story, he made suggestions, he gave me excellent feedback. So what that did for me was he was a professional writer, so that gave me some confidence that what I was writing was 
at least vaguely interesting to people. <laughs> if I was making any major mistakes, he would guide me. So for me as a first-time author, I found that really helpful. Um, now, if you knew somebody who had was an author and, and could give you the same type of guidance, I'm sure that would be fine as well. It just so happened for me that was the way I chose to go. So tell us about book launches. Book launches is, um, it was a fairly new business about three or four years ago. I, the CEO is Julie Broad, and she had um, had a real estate career prior to that. And I had been following her through her other career. And so she said that she was um, launching this, this new business called Book Launches. And actually, it's one of the best things I've ever done, I have to say. What they do is they, they've handheld me through the whole process. So I had a, a book coach. And then um, they led me through the editing process when I got to that point. Um, I had, the book was edited by about four different editors for different mm-hmm. types. So one was um, the storyline, one was the content, all very experienced people. So that, again, gave me confidence when they came back with positive comments about that. The other thing I recognized was not only did you have to write the book, but eventually you would have to market it if you wanted people to hear your story. And I had no idea where to start with any of that. And so I stayed with them right now through the marketing piece as well, because I, I really want this story to get out there. I, it's a tribute to my family, and I knew I wanted to do a really good job. And so they have held my hand through it. They have told me when to do certain things I need to do. Uh, for example, the book cover. They said, okay, now is the time to get your book come together. Did you have any thoughts about what you wanted to do? And I said, well, you know, I'm thinking this um, and I'm thinking that. And so, okay, well, now you tell me what you want on the cover. And then you work. So I worked with the professionals that they tied me in with um, and they made some suggestions. And eventually I came out with a cover I'm really happy with because it's not, it's, it's two family photographs on the front of the book. And it, it's the, exactly the right feel that I wanted. But I don't think I would have come to that conclusion on my own. I think by now I would have been so frustrated with the whole process because yeah. Because just finishing the book, you know, is, is a major event. That's great. Well, they were the ones that reached out to us, and I'm so glad that they did because I think this is a really neat book. And uh, I read through it. I think anybody who's kind of interested in the the perspective, in the words, you have to sort of abandon the present and say, this is what it was like 60 years ago in a new place. These were the standard. You know, a modern person can say, were there mental health problems? Were there substance? What did we miss that we don't have now? Kids need to understand where they come from and how things have changed and the improvements that can be made. And so I think memoir writing is hugely important that way. And I'm so glad that you could be with us today to tell us about your experience. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. We're going to put links to Jill's book on the podcast and the other interesting things we've talked about on our website, which is www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com. You can also find us on Facebook or Twitter. We love email. Jill, if somebody has a question for you on the process or your process or uh, the launchers, should they reach out to you directly? Oh, yes. If they go onto my website, jmphillipsauthor.com, at the very bottom there, there's um, a place where they can send me an email. I'd be more than thrilled to help anybody Fantastic. who um, has any questions at all. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's a given. I'd be more than pleased. All of you wanting to write a memoir, reach out and talk to Jill. She did it and she got all the way through it, which is fantastic. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is by Deirdre Schween and our sound engineer is David Welsh. 
Our intro music is Pretty Made Milking a Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with the Morning Person, both by Michael Lingberg. Our sponsors are Art, Coffee, Chocolate and Rum, and Jackal Designs. Mm-hmm. And to all of you out there, thanks so much for listening today. 